Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is your host, Mark Augustinelli. As always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Davis is a full-service staffing firm that's focused on helping you find the best IT, engineering, and manufacturing talent around. Check them out. Uh, Today's guest is a buddy, Jared Stedquist, who is a uh, really fun guy to talk to, serial entrepreneur, um, started a, uh, had a startup in college that he ended up dropping out to focus on, and uh, for him, it's been um, the w- a way of life uh, ever since. So if you're into entrepreneurship and um, those types of stories, this is an awesome listen. Uh, also a really fun guy to talk to, so we had a blast. And uh, hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Check it out. So it begins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Stankless, yeah, welcome cheers. to Beers and Careers. And we, just, and we never started the timer, which is uh, par for the course for us. So <laughs> here we go. Um, Thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, Beers and Careers was inspired out of documenting people's nonlinear career paths. I met Jared Stenquist, the guest today at this episode of Beers and Careers, um, through the through the little village I live in in yeah, central small Mass- village. Central, central Massachusetts. And uh, you know, before I got some rapid-fire questions, but before we get into that, why don't you let the audience introduce you in your current career, and then we'll, then we'll start peeling it back. Sounds good. Yeah, certainly been a non-linear path. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, current uh, position, um, co-founder and um, senior manager of technical operations at HQO, and we are a tenant experience company uh, for commercial real estate. So we uh, essentially build mobile applications uh, for the tenants of large, you know, class A, class B office space. Tens, it's all commercial, right? All commercial. All commercial. All yep. yep. Awesome. Maybe we'll foray into residential. We call it resi yep. down the road, but we're, we're laser focused on commercial right now. Real quick before we get into it, because I'm so curious, has the pandemic affected commercial real estate? From, I know it has, but has it affected your business yet? Um, so during the first, well, we're in what year or two of the pandemic? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I think we were all nervous that it would uh, yeah. really impact the business, but um, the nature of our software is to connect really the building with its tenants. Mm. So if the tenants are away from the building more often than not, there's actually a greater need for having the communication between the communication tools. Yeah. So, so we actually had our, I believe we had our best quarter like just right into the pandemic. Interesting. Which is, a little, you'd think it was a little backwards. Yeah, but, but that does make sense because you need to interface with them more. Yeah. Wow, so, very yeah. cool. Well, before we get into how you got to where you are now, real quick, what is your favorite beer, cocktail, libation? Uh, I guess I could do all three. Beer, I like a good good IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, cocktail, gin or vodka tonic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this is a little, little unique. Uh, I'm Swedish, so okay. Swedish heritage, not yeah. not directly off <laughs> the boat, but yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a we have a drink that we make every year around the holidays called Glug, and it's either depending which family you're from, it's either based with vodka or uh, or whiskey. And what what's the rest of the it drink? It has uh, it has like dried fruit, like raisins, okay. uh, things like that, cinnamon stick. Ah. Um, Cardamom is like the yeah. key player. Okay. Um, so it's a nice, usually like a nice brown. Uh, oh, and also port. 
Yeah. So okay. Cool. You mix all that together in a in a pot, um, and we usually gift it to family yeah. and friends. So you, you'll can't, be on. I can't wait. You'll to be get on my Glugless. Yeah. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Yeah. That that actually is, all those things sound awesome. Yeah. Do you make it? Are, is your family more the whiskey or the vodka? Uh, whiskey. Yeah. As I've met other Scandinavian families, like oh yeah, that that vodka drink, and then ah. you start looking and you realize there's a there's a lot of different variations of it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, do you have a favorite curse word? <laughs> curse. I was listening to the prior episode, so I already know what the common one is. It is. It and, is. Uh, and you know what? I, I'm still. I'm also on board. The, the f bombs. The yeah. It's so the way to go. It's the one. And it's. <laughs> I've noticed that having kids now is like it's, I think only my oldest so far. She's five. I know this is bad, but you know, we a couple times I dropped things in the house and you know, mm. glass drops. Fuck. Yep. And then you know, like <laughs> she's going to bed reading a book or something and drops the book off of the bed and she's just like, "Fuck! I dropped my book!" And you're like, <laughs> "No!" You're like, "No!" no, no, no. It's like, only for me. So I, you know, you start bending it and saying, "No, I said truck." And she's yeah. like, "Oh, you were saying truck? Okay, okay." Yeah. And you get away with that for a couple of days. Until they hear you again. They're so smart. Yeah. So like sleuth, like that. You didn't say truck. Huge sponge. I'm at the point now where my children look at me and go, Dad, you're not supposed to say that. And I'm like, you know, if they know that, I think I'm okay. Yeah. I've also noticed the, uh, so my middle child, uh, Miller, just turned three. And her big thing now is while I'm driving her around, she's looking from the middle seat and seeing the red lights. Yes. And, you know, if you approach, like, the yellow, oh. it's like, Daddy, you d- you weren't supposed to drive through that. You were oh. supposed to slow down. So, you know, yeah. Tattletailing on you yeah, your so. back. Oh, man. Yeah. It's fun, though. Yeah, that's wild. All right, a couple more real quick. Do you have your favorite guilty pleasure? Uh, uh, you know, so I that's chainsaws. <laughs> chainsaws. I am a big tool guy. You I are. Have a, you I are have a, a tool collector. Tool collection. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that would be my guilty pleasure is... Uh, and I guess I maybe I'm somehow bent this for my father, but he would always say, you know, like, what's your time worth? You know, if, instead of paying someone else to do it, do it yourself. Yeah. You know? And I always try to do everything myself, but uh, you know, especially any housework or mm. whatever needs to be done, I'd rather YouTube it, figure yes. it out, and learn, right? Save the money. But I t- I twisted that into oh, instead of hiring someone with the tool, I will just buy the, the tool. tool. <laughs> so if you need to pressure wash something once, you go and spend $500 on a pressure washer. <laughs> you know, so. I can say I started the podcast by saying I met Jared because we live in, a, in the same town, and uh, it's been very convenient having someone like Jared who has a... It's like going to Lowe's. <laughs> yeah, you just send a text message, and I, I bring it over. And, uh, it's pretty good. How about quotes? You you got a, you a quote guy? Uh... Let's see. Uh, I think favorites probably. You know, if uh, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Mm. You know, I so, like that. Yeah. yeah, having a you know pride in your Classic. pride in your work. You know, not half-assing it. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, lastly, what's your first job? I've had a lot of jobs. Um, first, uh, I mean, I, I had a lemonade stand as a kid. If you want to call that a job. Mm-hmm. But you know, to save time, instead of making the lemonade, I'd go buy the twelve pack of Would you whatever, really? and you know, sell them for a buck a can. Dude, a little sick, more margin. Sick move. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I had your standard jobs. Like I worked at the uh, Holliston, the uh, uh, Superette yeah. stock and shelves, stuff like that. It was a an early one, and then um, I think I parlayed that into buying uh, DJ equipment. That would have been my first like real business. My brother, we yeah. Uh, we would do high school dances and bat mitzvahs and all, all sorts of stuff like that, and that was just a blast. Mm. Um, I think we were 
I want to say we were one of the first like MP3 like digital DJs in yes. Metro West. Yeah. So we'd show up to parties with, uh, you know, we'd go and borrow CDs from all of our friends, rip all the track, you know, from their parents yeah. too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we'd get this huge, you know, collection all on my, you know, college laptop, prepping yes. for college. Yes. So I'm filling it up with all these MP3s, and we would, you know, show up to the party with the laptop. And we'd ask them if they had a phone connection so we could connect it to the modem, get the AOL wow. going for special requests yes. over Napster, you know? No way. So people were just always shocked, you know, because it wasn't no one was digging through that. records or digging through CDs. So know? this is this is 2007, <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight. Well, uh, yeah, no, yeah. four or five. Yeah, it must have Three, been. Three, four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Dude, that feels so long ago. Yeah. Napster. Holy moly. We had one party where the guy was an electrician. It was his... Uh, it was in Holliston or Ashland, I believe. And uh, he had a special request for a song that we didn't have. I think it was Chicago. I don't know the name of the song, but it was Chicago. It was his wedding song. And we're about two or 300 yards behind his house, like out in his wooded area, all set up. And I said, hey, listen, if you can go get me a phone cable all the way out here, then I can connect and get you that song. So he went out to his truck and created this like 300 yard telephone cable. No way. Walked it all the way out to me, you know, an hour later. Yeah. Because you're downloading it a, a meg an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I get his song and he's like the happiest dude ever. He extended the party for like three or four hours. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I'm sure so, a tip ensued. Yeah. So that was, that was probably my favorite, my favorite job. As a, favorite early job. Yeah. And so give us the path to HQL because from what I understand, I don't know your background very well. I was actually kind of excited to do the podcast with you because it's almost more fun when I'm ignorant than yeah, when I know yeah, the story kind of thing. So yeah, I, I just know that through the grapevine that you've had more than one business or so. Serial entrepreneur, I think, is the, is the word that someone used. And I was like, oh my God, get him on the pod. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so talk yeah. to me through like after the DJ business, where did we go from there? And, and then how yeah, did so you get to HQL? I mean, you know, post DJing, that was like high school. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, I brought the DJ equipment to college, you know, blast yes. the music out. The I, I went to UMass, so it was in one of the towers out there, John Adams, and we used my DJ equipment to blast music to the whole Southwest area, which Phenomenal. was awesome. Phenomenal. Eventually, had to sell that, you know, and move on. Um, I mean, so. I mean, I think some people today are like, oh, what, you know, what's the value of college or why, why waste, what is it now, a couple hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, seriously. So maybe even in state. Um, you know, and I think for me at least it was less about learning because I honestly didn't really like my degree. I was a comm major. Mm -hmm. I applied to the business school, uh, Eisenberg at UMass. I had probably a, a low three, you know, yeah. like 3.2, nothing yeah. exciting. I certainly wasn't a bookworm. Um, but, you know, not being able to get into the business school kind of just, you know, I, I was a bit disappointed because I really wanted to, to get that foundation. But um, it, it was really the time, I think, at UMass and, like, meeting all these other students and people that had, you know, were interested in the same stuff as me, you know, mm -hmm. technology, music, you know, whatever. Um, and I got to meet them and, you know, riff on ideas, you know. And, and you don't get that once college is over, you don't get that time again, right? You're you, right. You're really you know, right. You know, most time you get married, you have kids, you have a job. You yes. know, you have limited time and resources. So you're lucky if you're those are like the yeah. To me, those were like the, the formative years. Yeah. where it was like you just have the freedom. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want. You can screw up. You know, you can get in debt. You can do it. Yeah, you're you know? right. You're right. You're right. Your parents are it's always there to bail you out. It's too, a pass. Yes. Right. So that's that's a huge. You get that kind of lifeline. So that no matter how deep you get in it, you know, you're fine. Um, and for me, it was meeting a good friend of mine, uh, Boris. Uh, 
guy named Boris Revson. So he's I started my first company with him. But basically, I had created a um, just a pet project. I was really into web design. So okay. my, my dad had bought me a, a book about HTML. Yeah. You know, it's kind of old at this point. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think I still have the book. It's like called HTML in 24 Hours. <laughs> you know, awesome. 19, 1995. <laughs> uh, you know, so I I just like dove into that and got so excited by that you know where you can just write code and then things appear on the screen mm. and you can build functional you know tools with it um, and you know when I got to college I noticed this you know that there was the university had its own website that they pointed the students to as a utility but it really had no utility mm. right it's it's all advertising it's trying to get other students to come to the school right okay so it's Telling the parents how great the athletic programs are, mm-hmm. how diverse the school is, yeah. all, all it's like an right. online brochure, basically. Yeah, so yeah. that's what I went out to build. So, okay, uh, the UMass uh, nickname for UMass, everyone calls it Zoomass. Yes. So I made a website called Zoomass Links, mm. and basically it was like a three-column layout, had widgets all over it. Um, for those of you who have ever heard of iGoogle, that's mm. iGoogle allowed you to like put different widgets on the page. So okay. you might want news, stocks, weather. Yes, yes, yes. You yes. could drag and drop these little widgets all over and make your ultimate homepage. Okay. That's what I was trying to build for college. So ah. takeout food's huge. You know, yes. under your dorm room door, they're just like throwing menus mm. all day. At you. you have a stack of them. So that was the major feature. We had a logo for every restaurant in town, mm. and then you could click through and you'd see a digital representation of the menu. Sounds pretty basic in 2021, but ahead, but but, ahead of its time. But really. 15 years ago, yeah. that was like didn't exist. So, uh, I you know I put a couple banners across like the parking garage and on the, you know uh, at the uh, well lacrosse field at yeah. UMass. And before I knew it, I had I think over two thirds of UMass using it on a daily basis. Wow, which was to me it was like wow. How many like, people at UMass again for people who aren't there familiar? were 20 low 20 thousands. Yeah, I think at the time yeah. maybe it's. Increases so a casual thirteen, fourteen thousand using it. Yeah, so I was like, "Wow, this is crazy!" You know, <laughs> so so I started adding some more features, you know, like a Twitter widget and mm. uh, you know Google search. And before I knew it, I had this like a pretty cool feature set. Um, and then another big one that we made was the uh, police scanner. So ah, yeah. So I had a I bought the domain name umasspolice.com, and I had a widget for the police scanner. So. Mm kids at the parties could listen to the when the cops were coming yeah, wow so it became this thing where there was all these kind of viral features and and it was at least taking off at umass and then restaurants started calling to advertise and next thing you know like there it's kind of like this side business thing i got going i was gonna say know, how'd, you, how'd you monetize it yeah it was all primarily through uh, restaurants small yeah. businesses so um so restaurants would pay to have coupons on it you mm-hmm. know we built some coupon functionality and um Eventually, that morphed into <laughs> we ended up buying phone numbers and charging them. You know, instead of charging fifty dollars a month to have your restaurant on yeah. there, we would buy a phone number that forwarded to the restaurant. And every time uh, we'd advertise that phone number instead of the restaurant's yeah. real number, yeah. So that then we could digitally track how many orders they were getting through our site, right? And everyone does this now. Google does. Yeah, it. but ahead of all it, the, but like, know, yeah, uh, Grubhub, all this. But this is like really early. Um, and the problem we had is restaurants were paying us $50 a month, and they had no idea how much business they were getting. Well, now when you dial this phone number, I had the sound of a cash register ching-ching yeah. every time they answered the phone, and it was coming through my site. Wow. So it went from, you know, if I was trying to charge them 50 cent, 25 cents, 50 cents a call, uh, you know, I started sending them a bill for a couple thousand a month. Wow. And some of the restaurants were fine with it because they yeah. said, hey, it's, yeah, this you know, is, yeah, it's makes great sense. advertising. Makes sense. But, but a lot of them were like, no way, like I'll pay you $100 now or $200 or nothing. Yeah. 
so it just got you know it wasn't really a uh, it wasn't sustainable to do the telephone tracking right, so right. we just kind of backed off from that but that was interesting um, wicked so, interesting I love that because yeah. that's kind of like what everyone's trying to do is steal the data of the customer that's most important to them right right that not steal it own it yeah own, own yeah, it exactly own, own actually know what's own going it. on yeah. same thing if you like try to you know schedule a tour for a house on Zillow yes you, know, you end up you can't find out who's actually selling the house. No. It's impossible. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so anyway, ZooMass Links worked. I met this, uh, got an inbound email from this guy, Boris. Um, you know, I still wasn't making a lot of money off of the website, enough that it was paying my bills, but nothing substantial. This is post-grad. Uh, this is during college. During college. Yeah, yeah we're still in college. college so, yeah. Um, so Boris, I believe he was one year, uh, one year below me. Okay. And... He was working part-time as a web developer for the Mitt Romney campaign through a, wow. through a contractor. Yep. And he said, hey, I've got a job for you. You can work from your dorm room, and you can uh, you can help us build the blog for the Mitt Romney campaign. You know, politics aside, didn't do it for that. I did it for yeah. a nice, you know, easy job I could do for my dorm room. Right. That I liked building websites. So I met him. We started working on that together. I showed him my, you know, more about the ZooMass website and all that. And we kind of just synced up and said, "Hey, let's spread this. Like, let's do ZooMass links, but let's do it at everywhere. Let's do it at a bunch of colleges." So we took that single website. You know, we made it work with variables. So we could pass school names through yeah. and host multiple domain names. Uh, you know, so we ended up. Uh, I want to say we almost got it out to a thousand universities. Um, rebranded it. It was called Campus Live. Yes. Okay. So. I've seen live. I've yeah. seen a T-shirt or a sweatshirt in your yeah. So UMass likes more into campus live. Um, we open an office. I dropped out of UMass because I couldn't get in the building the uh, business school. I was like the hell with that. Yeah. So, uh, bought what a, year are you when you dropped out? Uh, I finished my junior year. Okay. So I still have one year left. Yeah. Um, still to this day. Yeah. <laughs> I tried going back online and uh, that failed miserably. But Serena Williams, the tennis star, was in my class. No way. Which was, yeah, that's a whole random story. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, she was, like, great. We, I had to buddy up with her, and she'd, like, help proofread my papers. No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, wait, yeah, hold that, on. Wait, <laughs> wait. So, this is, we're going to get back to Campus Live. You you drop out. You, you've, you keep doing the entrepreneurial thing. At some point, how long ago did you say, I want to go back and finish? Uh... That was probably after. after I had moved, like moved out of Amherst. I okay. moved into Boston. Okay, so a couple years later. So yeah, yeah and then a few years later. So you get you get back in, online. Online. So they have like a build but, your own degree program. But they didn't so let you finish it. Uh, no, they would have, but I. Just at that point, I said, "Hey, I'm not gonna apply ever apply for a job again." Like, right? I like w- working for myself. Yeah, you're an entrepreneur. At this point in my career, I report to our CTO, but. Right. You know, it's awesome. Right, it's Exa- exactly. And so when you, but just happened to be when you went back in and took one or two classes, <laughs> Serena happened to be in the yeah, class. Yeah, That's she hilarious. Yeah. Where is she from? Uh, I don't know where she, I think, I mean, she's what, married to, uh, is it Alexis O'Hanian now? I, I think so, but. So I think but, they probably live in LA or something, yeah, but I don't know at that the, point. The UMass connection is just interesting. Yeah. Wow. It's an online program. Sorry to take us down a tangent. I was like, wait, what happened there? Um, cool. So Campus Live, and so that becomes the, uh, the stake in the ground. Yeah, so we started like doing campus tours. We'd go, a bunch of us get in our cars, we'd go down to Yukon, spend like three days at the campus, 
um, it was actually how I met my wife. She uh, she ended up interning through a friend of mine at our company. No way. Uh, yeah, so that small world sort of thing. Yeah. How um, big did you grow Campus Live to? So em- employee-wise, we got up. So Campus Live in itself ended up pivoting. We raised... Um, we raised a bunch of VC, yep. scaled it up, and then like you know had a had that pivot moment, which I also have later in life. Yes, you know pivoting and saying you know the college menu business is it seemed viable, but it's it's not really yep. there for us. Right, and there was I think this happens in a lot of pivots is like you find the one thing in your first idea or your first part of the business that works, mm. and you're like, how do I save that one piece mm. and then build the second half right. of the story from that one piece. Mm. Um, and for us, it was a unit. We had created this advertising unit on Campus Live called, we called it the challenge. And it was multiple steps. You kind of click through and it's a little journey of advertising, you know, filling yeah. out a form, yeah. signing up for a newsletter, yeah. watching a YouTube video. Stuff we do all the time now. Yeah, so, you know, without without making a very long story of the pivot, we, uh, we ended up rebranding the company as Daily Break. And okay. the idea was that you, you know, it's, this company's still in business now, dailybreak.com. Uh, you would go to the website and it would be your daily break. Like, take a load off, hang out, kill some time, right? Yep. And it's they're supposed to be fun little kind of mini-adventure games uh, that some of them have advertising in them. Um, so after, uh, I want to say, seven or eight years, we had scaled up to, uh, I want to say, 50-plus f- employees, definitely. We were uh, we had an office in the North End, mm-hmm. North End in Boston, um, and we were acquired by an ad agency in Boston, uh, Conley Partners. Wow. So I spent a couple of years at Conley Partners, and then um, then moved on from there. And yeah, and that was the next next wow. step of the journey. Wow. So what happened after Conley? Where do you go from there? Um, so, and was you know, actually was that weird? Was it weird being acquired by Conley and staying on? Uh, you know, honestly, they were a great company. Yeah. Um, you know, they I think I really liked how they operated. They had like. They had a real great culture. Um, one of the things I love, they had a bar right in the middle of the floor in the mm. office. On what, it was a three-floor building, I believe, old mill building. And, you know, you were encouraged to go sit at the bar at 4 o'clock and, like, meet colleagues. Wow. Have a beer or two. Nothing yeah. crazy. But, yeah. like, that that's where the chemistry happens. That's mm-hmm. where the communication happens. Yeah. Not at your desk or down Slack, right? Yeah, right. Right. Um, so, you know, what? I, I did my time there. There wasn't... You know, did my time sense like yeah. I was in prison? But no, no, but I mean, I, you, for you, it was like you want to own something. Yeah, it was like okay, that, that was a good, good journey. Like yeah. Now, yeah, you start to get the itch again. Yeah. You know, um, I really like the whole like starting from zero and yes. getting to I don't know what you call it critical mass. You know, yeah, getting to the mass for like I guess we call it product market fit. You know? Yeah. Once once people are using your product and people want it, like, yes, that's the exciting part and building the whole team and yeah. get it running. You know, uh, then it becomes just, business after that. And yeah, exactly. But I mean, you can still keep it fun, right? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, that's uh, it's all about. It's all about keeping the culture alive. And so, mm. was it uh, was it challenging keeping the culture intact after you got acquired? Or it sounds like they were pretty good. They had a, they're just their own culture. Yeah, I think it's just kind of a melding of the yeah melding the culture. And I think you know, ideally, if you're the owner of a business that's getting acquired, one of the you know, one of your, probably the number one checkbox should be you know, above the terms is, you know, is this a culture that I want my team being a part of? You know? Right. Are they going to mix? Right. Because it's something like, I want to say 90, 90% of M&A activity is a failure. Yeah, I, I so think that, I think if you right. go in thinking that that's, that's the case, then 
Man, you better have your culture. Right, sorted. Yeah, exactly. Sorted. Was, um, when you look back on that experience, was, like, how do you, how do you look back at that? Was it more of a better fiscal exit for you or experience exit for you? Like, when you think about that whole time? Definitely learning. I think it's like, that was like my first, you know, first startup and yeah. like got the second one, knowing all the mistakes that I'm in. Yeah. Startups are all about trying things, moving fast, you know. Failing oh, fast. Exactly. And um, yeah, I just learned, I just learned so much uh, from that first. That's so cool. From that first business. Is HQO your second? Yes. Okay. So you, yeah. so how did you, so you left Conley, did you, did you have the idea of it? No, no, not at all. Um, so uh, Boris and I, again, we... Now, hold on. Is Boris with you the whole way? Boris, yeah. The yeah. whole way through yeah, Conley? Yeah. And then so we just you, took like different roles yeah. within the company. And, and you and, and him were like, um, we got to get yeah. out of here. And then after a year or so, we yeah. ended up leaving. So yeah. um, so anyway, we, we knew these three awesome guys who I'd work with now. Uh, Greg Gomer, uh, Chase Garbarino, Kevin McCarthy. They okay. both ran a business in Boston called Bostino. Yeah, basically, you know, tech magazine. Yeah, I know Boston. Yeah, they I expanded. Get it, actually, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, big fan. Yeah. Uh, so we knew those guys mostly from you know trying to get free press. Yeah, for <laughs> right, right, yeah. So it just turns out that you know they sold their company roughly when we sold ours. Okay. So we were both you know one year after getting the itch, knew each other, and um, I think Boris had talked to. The, Chase about you know doing something together, and then you know I went in and met with Chase down Faneuil Hall and said like I don't know what what we're gonna do, but you know our last investors, uh, accomplice, uh, these guys are awesome. Um, they uh, you know they they made probably made some money off their last sale. Yeah. And they said hey like we want to back you again you know let's do something new and um, so we all got together and just kind of tried to come up with some ideas of things to do and cool what we could work on. So um, the desire was more born out of like, you needed something new to do. Right. And we weren't work totally sure. Yourself. Yeah. We didn't know what we wanted to do. So we, we squatted in, um, we squatted in an office, uh, right in the seaport, probably a steakhouse there now. <laughs> squatted yeah, yeah, in an office right, yeah. there for six months to a year. And, um, you know, the, uh, the next part of the journey, there's, there was another pivot is we started a company called venture app. And, okay. Uh, and we were, the idea is uh, the idea was basically that we would be a business concierge that we would mm. we would help any small business connect them with anyone else in the community to solve their problems. You need a, you need a great um, you know small business attorney. We have the list of the best five. Kind, you need, kind you of, need some good talent. Yeah. We know the Davis company. Companies. We will connect you. Ah, uh, kind of funny because it makes sense that that would be the brainchild of a like a basically your restaurant like the whole start of it plus the boston inno like it kind of makes sense that venture app was the yeah child of that um so we we tried really hard we moved out of that office in the seaport we moved to cambridge uh in the hubspot building the davenport Mm -hmm. um we moved in accomplice let us crash in their office for about a year we had a a room i think it was literally this size (laughs) probably 10 by 12 and there were 10 or 12 of us in there all just sitting around in a square, just cranking out code and really? for a while, you know. Um, so that took about <laughs> fast forward about two years, yeah. and we decided, you know, it's not working. Basically, you know, what was the point? Are, what was the point where you were like, shit, we got to do something? 
you know, we had we had a decent sized sale, not decent, small sales team, few yeah. people. You know, they were they were selling. It was looking more like a lead gen business, you mm-hmm. know, like where you're, you know, you're getting people to market on your platform, but they're inherently expecting in their head for a number of leads, right? Yes. Like they, if they're yes. paing you, they're they're doing the math. Of, right. What's the, right. What's the ROI? Right. Yeah. So. Oh, interesting. So. Yeah, we weren't providing the ROI that yeah the, the value that they needed. needed so. Yeah. Um, so we yeah we ended up we had no experience in commercial real estate, <laughs> none whatsoever. Um, but we did have a you know mobile app that we had started building for Venture App, and what uh, year is this? Ish? So about f- roughly four years ago. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and once again, our investors were they've just been phenomenal, um, accomplice. Uh, they supported us and they said, "Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll help you over this point. Like, you guys can do it. Like, we get, we believe in you, really, yeah. right? Like, don't get down. Yeah, really. Go, go get them. Really, tired. that's yeah. cool. And um, they they just been phenomenal. So, uh, anyway, we we literally went and burned the boats. We deleted all of our old code and you know archived all the repos, took it all down, and we just had a powwow and said, "We're doing this. We're starting fresh." We had a naming. We knew what we wanted to build, roughly. You know, an app for your building. Yeah. But we didn't know what Concierge, to call it. but yeah. So we, yes, yeah, so we had like an internal naming competition, and truth be told, I hated the name HQL. Really? I, yeah, I was. I was not a fan. What of it, was but it's your grown favorite? On what it. was your favorite? I wish I could remember. Uh-huh. I, had a, I would have brought the document with all of my suggestions. <laughs> in it, but at that time, I wasn't. So HQL was at the time supposed to stand for Headquarters Optimized. Yeah. So. Um, so that's what we went with, and, and, and it's been great. Um, so, yeah, four years later, we're here now. And yeah. Roughly uh, 160 employees now. We've got offices in, let's see, Chicago, New York, uh, Paris, London, and Toronto, and our headquarters is in Boston. And, yeah, it's going pretty well. What a ride. Yeah. What a ride. So yeah. in that – and how many employees did you say you had? We're over 160. 160, point, yeah, so wow. Probably in with 200 ish. Very cool. End of the year. What's been the um, What's been the value that your customers are perceiving the most out of this right now? So, surprisingly, buildings are they're lacking in in the ability to report back information about the usage of the building. Mm. It's lacking technology. There's yeah. no. The building owners don't know how smart. many people are coming in and out. Yep. They don't know, you know, if this this is a this building only has a few floors, but mm-hmm. let's say it had one of our customers is the Willis Tower in Chicago. Yes. Right. So dozens of floors. They don't, you know, if a tenant ends up laying off half the people in the build in the floor, they don't know about it. Yes. They're they don't know how the retail's doing in the building. They're mm-hmm. not connected up to that, you know, from a data perspective. Um, they don't, you know, they don't necessarily know whether you're content in the space, right? Like, is it too hot on this floor? Is it too cold? Yes. You know, would you let, you know, do you need to submit a, you know, a uh, service request? You know, we, we, our thesis was that our app could be the platform that centralizes all that together mm. so that the tenants have the best experience, but all this data behind the scenes gets to the landlord so that they can they can make the best decisions about improving their building, right? Yeah, and monetizing their space, right? right? I mean, yeah, exactly. In terms of retail and stuff. Yeah, so, you know, we have features in our app where you can, at Willis Tower, for example, you can order your food before you get to the app, to the uh, building uh, in, in the morning. And then that's connected up to the landlord. So, you know, they get the metrics on, 
sales happening, all the foot traffic. Changes how they staff their building. Exactly. Wow. Um, another, uh, another like real critical feature is the is mobile access. So you yes. know you have your HID card to get in the building. So yeah. we have a digital version of that for HID. Like a QR code. Um, it's uh, it's actually just built in through RFID oh, and cool. and through uh, NFC on your phone. Yeah. So you can just hold up your phone right to the NFC for the layman reader, and it will it, it just will unlock. Give me NFC for the layman. Uh, near field communication. Near field so it's it's like Bluetooth. basically Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah, Bluetooth and yeah. Bluetooth NFC. Um, so that's that's definitely really hot right now. Like yeah. Everyone everyone wants to get that. You know, get rid of one more card in your wallet, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's that's been interesting, but yeah, we're we basically want to support all the different verticals of the different technology within a building, from you know IoT with all the environment, mm. um, all the retail, mobile access. We do a lot of content and programming, so you know, right. showing the tenants what's going on. This week, maybe the building's having a mixer. Maybe yeah. there's something in the neighborhood because we can, since we have so many uh, buildings in a geographic area, like. Let's take New York, for example. One of our big clients is Vornado. Okay. So they have 24 buildings all around uh, all around Penn Station. Wow. Right? So we can start doing program that programming that affects all of those buildings. You know, build it once and then still yes. you know, send it out to everybody. So, um, you know, there's a number of other features, other verticals, you know, emergency communications. Landlord can send out, you know, there's a flood in the building. There's mm. no power in the building today. Don't bother coming in. Right. Or you know, there's obviously worst case scenarios for yeah. emergencies. But that's um, that's wild. So are you? Where are you at in your journey with that? Are you like still hook, line, and sinker on new product innovation within it, or pivoting within that business, or are you like, like where are you at in that stage? Because as, as, as a as a company, no, as a person who works there. Uh, I, you know, I think we've. We've you've definitely found, your found market fit. Yeah, we found the fit now, where where it's you know we're we're really listening to our customers. We're meeting them. We're holding these events with you know where we go at offsite and mm-hmm. invite our customers to come meet with us. We call them, we call them cabs. We sit you know we go down and, and we really drink, listen we drink to cab. them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, exactly. That's what <laughs> at customer advisory board. Okay. But yeah, we it's like all about listening to the customer and hearing what what they're seeing in market and what where we can help them right, and that's where mm-hmm. we want to drive the product. Um, and then from my, you know, my position, my position is basically split twofold. It's all the internal IT for the company. And then on the other side, it's all production operations. Right. So yeah. that's all of the AWS infrastructure. Mm. If the site goes down, if any of the application stuff goes down, it's usually, it's at least my phone going off in the middle of the night. But yes. Ideally man. myself in, you know, one or two other engineers responding to an incident. Mm. Um, and so we we need to make sure that our applications are up all the time. Up time. Because we have guarantees to our SLAs for our customers, right? Right. So, wow. Interesting. So, yeah. That's so. that's but that's a wild ride. So are you, so you're not getting the itch yet? <laughs> you're in. You're in. So it's uh yeah I, I'm definitely in. I I love the space and it's like I think real estate's like the largest asset class in the world. It's like we haven't even scratched the surface, right? Like right. We have, we have an entire other regions of the company. Like we haven't even touched APAC yet. We're right. like, we're just getting into the EU. You know, mm-hmm. it's as we add more of these entire portfolio deals with some of these global landlords. It's gonna. I really think it's just gonna start keep catching fire. Change so. things. Do you think you'll? Uh, do you think that that has a 
like almost like a I don't I don't want to say a residential application, but I kind of think that way for like the non normal resident, like the guy who has maybe a hangar. You know what I'm saying? Like, or has properties? Like, do you think that, um, or do you think that space is just too crowded in the Google Nest world? There, uh, there's definitely a lot of. Um, I think there's more competitors in the. I haven't yeah. paid too much attention to the residential space, to yeah. be honest. But I think there, there's certainly a lot more attention paid to it, and like it's just a complete. It would be a completely different customer. Mm. Like they just have you know, their business runs completely different than commercial real estate yes. does. And, um, you just have to support so many more technologies, I think. Do you think UMass is upset that you didn't get your business degree? <laughs> I don't know. For I, I haven't been in a while, but uh, one of the professors there would call me out annually to to tell the early uh, early story from the you know college early college days on. Oh, really? And so you've, been, you've gone back. Yeah, I always I always open it up with like, hey, I I applied to this business school, they didn't let me in, but. <laughs> Now they call me up to talk. So, that's, <laughs> that so is, sorry. That but is gonna, wild. That um, is wild. Yeah, it was it was kind of surreal, but yeah, it's 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 fun. It's a, did you think you did you know you were always going to be a serial entrepreneur? I've always like, I've always wanted to build things, and I, if you talk to anyone who knows me, yeah, probably any anything they start talking about, yeah, I somehow I'm like, oh, have you ever thought about monetizing that? You could, you know, <laughs> right. whatever the heck you're talking about. It just you, you could be talking about like going to the school to see your uh, kids at a play, and I'm gonna <laughs> respond with some way that, oh, have you thought about selling tickets to that? You yeah, know, like that's something. So it's always you know, and um, I don't, yeah, I just really like building things. And, yeah, um, I think so. what's coolest about the HQO story is for me, uh, who uh, because I've not worked in a startup environment. Like we we joke about this being a 35 year old startup because we're in serious growth mode and it is kind of fail fast and that kind of stuff but I've always I think wrongly made the assumption that it's like there's an idea and then you monetize it which is kind of what happened with this with the zoom ass that's what we that's a huge lesson that I will never do again is building something and then finding people who want it yeah if I was to stop working at HQO today right now I'd be researching what's that what's that huge problem yeah big hairy audacious goal right you know the big problem that i can solve because Because you care less about what the product is and more about the journey from zero to to product market fit yeah and but yeah you want to you want to be working towards fixing a problem solving a problem not not just building something and say i hope someone i hope someone wants this yeah i just i just i I guess everyone's always heard you know you've heard a million times that you know ideas are worthless like they really are right i'll tell you any idea i have but it's if you don't execute on it, what, it is, what is it? Right? And if no one wants it. Right. Even worse. <laughs> I just think it's so cool that you got that group of people together. We're like, how are we going to make a business? Because we don't want to do anything else but this. Yeah. Without an idea. And we then, actually and liked, had, the, we liked the idea of starting new businesses so much that our, our first rough draft of that, once we got the you know go-ahead for the investment money, was... We're gonna build an incubator. Like that's what that office yeah, was gonna like be. Like a Y combinator kind of thing. Yeah, we're just gonna get like five different groups of people in here, and we're gonna we're such experts. We're wow. Kind of full of ourselves because that, that wouldn't have worked <laughs> yeah. in hindsight. But we were gonna you know help each of these five groups and just keep feed them. each of them and keep them growing. And I'm glad we didn't do yeah, that because that, no, that, that certainly would have been a mistake. I'm that, no I'm no Paul Graham. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, what a wild. Uh, I still think that's so cool. I think that's so cool that you backed your way into it. Yeah, it's, it's 
been a journey. Did you, um, what's been the most surprising thing along the way? Or what would you tell, I have a better question for you. You can answer that later if you want. <laughs> what would you tell people, like, this podcast when I first yeah. started, uh, I was so amazed at how people's stories like yours are unique and like unexpected like I had no idea that HQO was like I want a job and I don't want to work for anyone and I know these great people like that's such a cool story in and of itself but I also thought like as a high school or college grad there's like you got to get on a career path and like in and all I've realized in my time in staffing right which I get a front row seat to people's lives on a daily basis is nothing goes according to plan or rarely does it go according to plan and and when you talk to people in the back half of their career or even in the midst of their career, they're generally happy, even though things didn't work out the way they envisioned them to work out. So, like, what would what advice would you give people? Like, what advice do you give when you're at UMass in terms of that roadmap? Like, if you were interested in getting into things, obviously, ask the big questions was one of them. But any other advice? Yeah, I mean... I would definitely suggest joining a startup over, you know, a large corporate job, at least for if maybe you're not going to start the startup, mm. you know, find one that's in a space that you like and seems to be doing well. Maybe they're either profitable or maybe they've raised some money. They seem like they have a pretty good backing, great culture. I mean, you'll learn more at a startup over yeah. a couple of years than you ever will in, in uh, you know, in corporate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's certainly something I would suggest or I'll tell my kids, you know, and no, you don't have to follow the standard path. I mean, I, I dropped out. I didn't have the college degree. I, I just, you know, stay hungry and and find, and find your way, you know, you'll get there there if you're hungry enough. And, um, you know, I guess even one example probably relatable to your world is like with resumes. Yes. Like, you know, we get resumes constantly. We're hot. I think we have 30 open positions right now. Mm -hmm. HQO.com. Yeah, and we do something. We have, um, we have kind of a what do you want to call it? Not an acronym, but our mantra is like "Let's go." So, learning, excellence, mm-hmm. toughness, goodness, um, goodness, ownership. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say you better get that right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, there's a car going by. And I was like, right. Let's go. One pumpkin head <laughs> shipyard, and uh, but uh, so we have questions at the bottom of the application. That's. Uh. Um, that's supposed to, you know, give us a little more background on the applicant in relation to each of those, right? Ah, interesting. So, a lot of times I'll read the resume, you know, browse it pretty quickly, but I learn a lot from reading those questions at the end. Can you give me an example? Some of them are, um, you know, like for, for you know, learning. It might be, you know, uh, tell us about something you're really interested in uh, learning, like outside of work or a topic mm. that you that you that you're really interested in. And, you know, some applicants will write like NA or yeah. leave it empty, you know? Yeah. Whereas someone might write two paragraphs in there and like, you're just picking up the phone. You're like, come on in here. Like, yeah, I'll talk to you. This looks excellent, you know? So like, yeah, paying attention to those little details, but also, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't be afraid of like, if I find the job that I would really like, don't just like send the resume in through the email and through the, you know, find out who the hiring manager is, you know, spend an hour researching. Call them up, write them a per- cold email. Yeah. If I got a cold email from someone that's like, oh my God, I want your, I want to be your IT guy. I'm, yeah. I'm hiring for one right now. Yes. If I got an email from someone that said, like, I am hungry for IT, I love it, I'd be a perfect fit, I have, I know all the technologies and told me all about themselves, I'd be like, come on in tomorrow, you know, like, let's, let's get an interview tomorrow. It's, don't be stuck in a pile. It's, it's, it's so true. I, I get so many, because of my role here, I get so many people 
in their second, third, fourth jobs, reaching out to me being like, I'm looking for a job, what would your advice be? I'd be like, don't apply to jobs. Like, sure, apply. If you're gonna look at your eight hour day, spend an hour applying, but you're basically pissing into the wind. Like, cold call. <laughs> right. Like, you know what you wanna do. Yeah. And who would make them feel good? Like, if someone called you about that IT job, you're like, dude, you know who I am and you wanna work here? Like, that's a third of the battle. Are you competent? <laughs> right? <laughs> like. It's an. It's. A, I think that's such a good point. I'm stealing your question thing. That's. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's. It's cool. It's, I like that for a me. Lot. It's. A good, I mean, we don't. You don't want to like exclude everyone just based on those questions, but. Um, I I personally really like them because it shows me a little more about them than because we don't really get you know when you're getting resumes through Indeed and everything else you're not necessarily getting a cover letter. Right. Or you traditionally get right. a little more. And background. even with cover letters though. They're still very uh, templated. Yeah. To a degree. Where the questions you're asking are very free form. Exactly. You know, it's like exactly. you don't know where that person's going, you know. Right. Where, where they're going to go is going to give you an actual insight into who they are. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which and you, you know what the S and let's go is for speed, and, like, we'll get one of the questions about that, like, for engineering is, you know, tell us about a time that you've, that you took something and made it faster. Yeah. Know? And, you know, you get some responses that are, I've never done that before. Yeah, you know, honest. Well, that's yeah, very <laughs> honest, but we're probably not a good fit. <laughs> yeah, right, you know? right. And right. then you get someone else that's like, oh, you know, we were running a, we had a microservice that was running PHP six, and I found out that PHP seven runs fifty percent faster. So I created a Jira ticket for my team. We got it out the next day, and suddenly all of our APIs are running fifty percent faster. Mm. Like great answer. Yeah. So, Holy crap. Um, ROI in your job. Right? Exactly. It's like, what's the value you're delivering? That is so cool. Dude, you're uh, what a wild journey. What do your parents think? <laughs> they weren't happy when I was originally calling them to tell them I was going to drop out. Because yeah. they had paid for my first three years of college. But uh, they warmed up after they saw that it was clearly my you know, calling. Calling, yeah. To go do something. I, yeah, do my own thing. What was the, what was the uh, I'm thinking back to myself in college. Clearly, I'm not a serial entrepreneur because I was not working other than like checking people in at the athletic desk in college. Like, what was the what was the reason or what was the impetus behind like you doing that work to create that Zoom ass piece? Like, why why were you doing that? Just because? I mean, that was kind of that was honestly really just fun because I like I liked coding. Yeah, like it, it was, was just like born a, out of fun. I could make a utility out of it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's seeing other people use. What you built was right? the va- was, was the, more the yeah it was really more important was exciting. Than money. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about money at first, but then in the end, it's like oh, if I could spend more time doing this, I would. If I could make a little money, ah, uh, see that's so cool. Let's add some like build now, monetize later. That's cool. I mean, I was I had ridiculous jobs while I was building that. I I, I worked chicken wing delivery. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I worked at Staples selling printers. Yep. That's probably you must have known a lot. Yeah. If, if you had the toner. question, what's your worst job? That was <laughs> that. That was it. What yeah. was so bad about it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had a, they had an acronym called KIPS, C I P S, and you were supposed to with every printer they rated you management rated you from zero to one hundred twenty five percent for each acronym if you sold them cable ink paper and service plan. <laughs> Kips. Kips. Yeah. Oh. And that was just you know I'm an honest guy and telling someone like oh yeah you need this. Service plan yeah. for your printer. It comes with ink, but you also need to buy extra ink. Yeah. Oh, so you don't man. want to run out. Yeah, just in case, especially when you're in a college town. 
yeah. where you selling it? Where you at Amherst? Yeah, right yeah. in Hat well Hadley, but yeah. right right down the street. Oh my god, that's too um, funny. That's a really cool example, though, of, like, you know, I think it's really corny when people are like, follow your passion and get a job. Like, I think it's almost better advice to be like, dude, just go out there and right. do something. But you're an actual example of someone who really did just do the passion thing and then monetized it. Yeah. I mean, you got to pay your bills while you're doing it. So a, lot, a lot of so it's like the hustle and, like, yeah. are you willing to put in the time, you know? Yes. Well, my, a lot of my, I mean, I did my, certainly did my share of partying at UMass. Yeah. Yeah. Should have an complimentary uh, is a <laughs> doctorate. Yeah, uh, but you might get an honorary one. But still, there were many nights where I was out, you know, delivering wings till two a.m. while all my friends are yeah. partying Thursday, Friday, because I knew that I could make two hundred bucks a night in tips. You right. Know? right, And then I wouldn't have to work the rest of the week. So it's like mm. just making good decisions early. <laughs> where did that some come from? good decisions? Yeah, I mean, but that's a, those are good decisions. Those are that. Uh, I think they're extra good decisions because peer pressure is such a powerful force. Like yeah. You had to have friends be like, dude, why are you going to deliver buffalo wings? just meant that I would party from two to six. Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just changed the time. You just adapted. Exactly. That's impressive, dude. Exactly. Well, I mean, I got to... Uh, any uh, parting words you leave for the pod, you get the vibe of the pod. I mean, I think it was... Yeah. Your story's sick. Well, thank you. No, it's been a blast. I mean, I don't know if you um, need any software engineers, but uh, it's <laughs> yeah, just, it's, totally. just, it's just, that's just really cool. Yeah, it's um, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the next few years play out with all this p- pandemic and yeah. everything. You know, I think it's really interesting too how you went after the uh, the global landlords now. Yeah, there's right. it's 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 crazy how much commercial real estate there is. Mm. You just never until you get into a business, you don't fully understand that all of it it's just it's wild oh well jared it was a pleasure it's a pleasure having you on i'm pumped i got to meet you and uh, thanks here's to many more cheers beers, yeah absolutely guys thanks thanks again man. absolutely